Hello and welcome to Maester Monthly, your favorite pseudo-monthly podcast hosted by the moderators of the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit. Before we begin, as always, this podcast is spoilers extended, which means that material from the Game of Thrones television program and the Winds of Winter sample chapters are all fair game. You have been warned. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Michael, also known as Bookshelf Stud. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana, also known as Glass Table Girl. And I'm another one of your hosts, Matt, also known as Joe Magician. <laughs> he forgot his name. I did forget my name a little bit there. I was like, am I going to do a joke here? Am I going to be Aegon? Am I going to be Eliana? And then I was just like, I guess I'm just Matt. You were torn between identities. I thought you were torn between uh, Matt and Joe, and I was like, wow. But that does happen to me fairly regularly. I'm sure it happens to a couple of our other moderators who are joining us today fairly regularly as well i am my name shit i'm jen also known as jen snow i i don't even have an excuse of forgetting my name it's literally the same thing jen is my first name in both places in real life and on reddit so you know it's awesome next her name is jen snow in real life yeah yeah I am yeah. a northern bastard. I'm Walda, only known as Fat Walda. Can't do also known as if I only have one name, right? Same, same. And I'm Isabel, also known as Mighty Isabel. Yeah, you have a, you have an adjective, at least, modifying your name. So that's, you know, we've got a few adjectives in here. Well, uh, as always, we've got uh, just, just, a, just a ton of hot takes and nice catches from the subreddit, the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit. Um, and of course, we've, we've been uh, uh, on vacation for quite a long time. Um, we, we went to tour the ruins of Valyria, all the maesters did. We piled onto a, a small dinghy and sailed to Valyria together. And now we are back, um, with, with tales and treasures. We also accidentally brought, brought a plague back with us. So sorry about that one. Uh, that was us. Um, but before we get into all the posts and the discussions and wonderful things from the subreddit, um, it is of course, spooky season. As user Lchris24, best of 19, by the way, crow of the year. So, big shout out to Lchris24, um, who made a post entitled simply Woods Witches, in which they say, Spooky season is upon us. And one of my favorite major practitioners in the series are the different Woods Witches. So, today, before we get started, I want to ask you guys, who is your favorite witch in A Song of Ice and Fire? And I'm going to insert, like, cackling noises here and, like, the music from Hocus Pocus You you couldn't have said which witch is your favorite. Yeah. That's too complicated. I don't get it. Is that it? (laughs) See? Too complicated. (laughs) What of the witches? (laughs) Of of the witches, what one of them is (laughs) your favorite? Please choose one. Whomst among the witches. That's right. Whomst whomst among the witches. Glass table girl slash Eliana. Which, well, which witch is your witch? I'm kind of torn, right? So I am torn. Actually, it was three, but now now I'm going to just narrow it down between Mother Mole and uh, from the list that Elchris24 has put together with Harlan slash Herndon's wife. Mother Mole is really interesting and is a character that I hope we learn more about because Hard Home you know, everyone talks about it and how it seems like something interesting is happening up there. But I, I am not sure what's going on with Mother Mole, what sort of role that she's playing in the story. But also Harlan and Herndon's wife, like, sounds to me like girl could get it. And mm. I respect that about her. She's just like, I want both. 
<laughs> and she got him. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, you know, she it, it, it wasn't something sinister, you know? I like to hope think that she just had a lot of agency and, you know, she it was like a gender flip version of what happens with, what is it, Jacob? Is it Jacob? Jake. With Leah and Rachel. Yeah. Uh, is this friends? Are we talking about friends? Yeah, doesn't he? <laughs> this is the Bible? <laughs> the oh. original friends. Of course, the Bible, not friends. <laughs> it's like the same thing. Yeah. I think it's Jacob. I don't know. Yeah. There could have been a Jacob on there. I bet there was at some point. She's got that WAP, you know? She's got that witch. Um, witchy ass book. Um, what? Stop myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Congratulations to Harlan slash Herndon's wife. Um, Actually, was she even their wife or were they just hooking up? Because I'm not really sure. It sounds like she was a woman who would not want to be tied down by any hunters. So my understanding is right. They founded House Charlie together with this woman. And I'm like, so which one? Which one is it? It's House Hunter too, right? Both of them? Harlan the Hunter and Herndon of the Horn uh, took to wife the beautiful woods witch who lived uh, on Horn Hill. Oh, did take the wife. Damn it. Um... Sharing her favors for a hundred years. Wow. That's... So, you know. <laughs> I don't know how any of it works. But so so Mother Mole or Harlan slash Herndon's wife, you're saying? Yeah, both of them intrigue me. Just in general. Especially because I don't understand uh, how either of them really work. So I, those are the two I would pick. They feel spoopy to me. And... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotta get the cackle in there. Jen Snow, <laughs> who was your favorite witch? <laughs> it feels like, so because we're using Google Meet, it feels like we're in an online class and apparently Michael is now the teacher. <laughs> so I, I understand just randomly, <laughs> randomly calling on people. So I don't yes. have a particularly deep cut, but my favorite witch in the series is the Ghost of High Heart because oh. I mm. am... A sucker for all of that lore that comes with why Prince Jaehaerys commanded Ares and Rhaella to marry, and that and the whole prince that was promised um, legend, and we still know so little about what that's going to be. So, Ghost of High Heart, absolutely. I mean, it's hard hard to argue with that. She that's is the like, yeah. The witch and how you know the the way the history and and, and the lore, as you said, uh, like sometimes we think of that as the books in the Citadel and and the Reader Harlaw's mm. books and but it's also this the Ghost of High Hall and her like oral tradition and there it is the history is in all of that. That's a good point. Yeah, it's like the um what when they when they. Went around in in Appalachia in the early nineteen or early nineteen hundreds, whatever his name was, blanking on the guy, but you know, pulling all the old folk songs yeah. and all that old stuff that mm. otherwise gets lost. Like, yeah, 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 she's the she's the history like under the hill for sure. She's um, also got a very compelling way of delivering her dreams. Very story ask she's very good at it so like see here i see you i see you wolf child blood child i thought it was the lord who smelled of death that is cinematic Mm -hmm. she's playing to an audience and she's great at it way to go ghost of high heart some people deliver their dreams and it's kind of like whatever ghost of high heart she makes you want to listen that's pretty much like what all of my older relatives would say when i like showed up at family reunions as well it's like 
you know. Wolf child. <laughs> I see you, wolf child. child blood. Yes. <laughs> you wolf child. <laughs> yeah. Got a lot of that. <laughs> you do need a, you do need a haircut though. So like. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I've been getting that a lot. Um, Aww. <laughs> I'm just I'm growing it out in case I need to get resurrected. I've heard that that's involved. Oh. In the, uh, yeah, they do a little clip. Oh, yeah, that's right. A little yeah. clip and snip, and yeah. Um, You're confusing the mods <laughs> who didn't watch the show. Yeah, in the television program Game of Thrones, Melisandre gives Jon Snow a haircut when she brings him back to life. Is that a oh, euphemism for something? <laughs> I mean, it may be a euphemism, but it was a visual euphemism if it was. <laughs> uh, I thought it was just to disguise uh, that Kit Harrington had a haircut or something. <laughs> I think that was really. I, I really think that's what all it was. It was. <laughs> In the deep cuts of everyone was like, um, "Kit, you need a haircut." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was to symbolically represent that he was dead, because there's the thing about um, the deceased's hair growing after they die, and so oh. it's like she's cutting oh. his hair because he's actually dead, and then he, you know, as opposed to saying like, "Oh, well, maybe he never died." Like. You know, it's been, what, like four or five years now since that scene aired? And that's the first time I've heard Haired. that suggestion. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Haired. <laughs> wow. Um, oh, I'm, I'm writing that one down. Um, <laughs> well, then then who, who is your favorite witch then, um, uh, Walda? Um, I'm going to have to go with Maggie the Frog. Because, um, oh. I mean, like the ghost of High Heart, she's all about the prophecy. And I like that. Um, I... I I like that she has sort of like in the in the post she's she's mentioned by all of the Lannister children and I think that's really interesting that they all mm. knew of her growing up you know she's like this figure near Lannisport and she's this this um witch that was brought this priestess that was brought from the east by um Lady Sybil's grandfather and so she was just sort of the local like you go to get her charm you go to get her to taste your blood, to tell your future, um, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and she's, of course, the one who delivers the Valonqar prophecy. So, in some ways, she kicks off a lot of the action of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that um, the actress who played her in the show is also the actress who played Queen Calanthe in The Witcher. Oh, like, mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. I missed that. Yeah. The huh. Witcher. Oh wow! <gasps> Very spooky. I, I, I've She's never seen the, the witch in Witcher. <laughs> Which one? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Most <Yeah>. one. Most <laughs> 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 it. My favorite thing about oh, Maggie goodness. the Frog is that she's Jane Westerling's great grandmother, and I don't know yes. if if mm. there's any sort of hereditary aspect to Wood's witchiness, but I like the idea that Rob Stark's wife has inherited something. Like there is no indication whatsoever so far in the books that that's true, but I like the idea of it. Yeah, you know, you you could almost see like, you know, 80 years down the line, there's like this old woman in the Westerlands who, you know, tells people's futures and she tells everyone that she used to be married to a king and everyone's like, that's ah, it's a bunch of bullshit, but it's actually it's Jane or something. She, like, she's I don't know. The yeah, future Ooh. ghost of High Hall. Wow, oh. they're just they're churning out. <laughs> it's almost like Westeros like churns out traumatized women or something. <laughs> like that's that's really weird. <laughs> I, I also like that. that this posits at one time Maggie the Frog was a smoking hottie. <laughs> <laughs> 
with great she hips. <laughs> She's that's true. Smoke show. She's the Jaja Gabor of. <laughs> Cersei's not the best POV to tell us. You know, was Maggie beautiful or not? Right? She was always very predisposed mm. to seeing herself as the most beautiful. But what if mm. Maggie was as as Matt said, a hottie? A hottie with a body. Yeah. Yeah, those hot yeah. frog legs. Well, well, Matt, who's, you know, um, oh my God. Uh, Those very froggy legs. Matt, since you have some, some specific tastes in uh, Woods Witches, who's, who's your favorite witch? My favorite witch is very on brand for me with all my love of how strong and what came out of fire and blood. And that is, of course, Alice Rivers, the best witch of all time. You are all wrong. Alice Rivers is the best. Why? Number one, calls herself the Witch Queen of Harrenhal badass title. Rules from mm, Hall for sev- several years. Perhaps got most of the male members of her family killed, or at least lit some of them on fire. That one's on the table. She nice. tamed basically a dragon with um, Aemon One-Eye, who was going, like, sniveling around, being like, Oh, I have a dragon. I'm so cool. But Alice Rivers is the one that was telling him where to go and what to do. She was the one in charge. Supposedly had a child with him. And what was the other thing about her that was really cool? Um, oh, also during the uh, battle over the God's Eye, she was apparently just staring, standing on top of one of the towers with like her hair billing behind her, looking like a total badass. Pushy saw stuff in the flames. Alice Rivers is the best. Oh my God, she's got it yeah. all. Yeah. She, she has yeah. it all. Taking down the patriarchy, taking down the dragons, connections with the old gods, connections with R'hllor, maybe because she sees stuff in flames, everything. Alice Rivers, top tier. But has she potentially accidentally led to the downfall of her people? Actually, yes. That that yes. is something Alice Rivers does have. Never mind. Mm-hmm. She has it all. <laughs> her ambition got the better of her. That's true. She's a cautionary tale and also a hero. Oh, the best. The best kind of character. <laughs> the look of confusion on Eliana's face is classic. like a hero? Cautionary tales for ladies. What is the, what's the book? Cautionary oh. tales for young girls? A caution for... Young a, cautioner's, legs. a cautioner's tale. Whoa. <laughs> wow, it makes sense if Jeff wrote that book. It finally all makes sense. Uh, Everything comes together. But it. yeah, that one's about Corianne Wilde. That's right. And Yeah. You know, they don't they she has a lot of things that they say that she did in that book, but none of them seem to be magic. Wild which, things. Yeah, wild things children's it's a children's book in fact that's right where the wild <laughs> the caution, things are a caution's tale for girls women. gone wild yeah <laughs> girls gone wait canon even. wait is that is that what george is doing there is this a is that like oh, a wait, joke shit. of his i think on you're right oh boy girls gone wild i think you're like, right oh my god we're uncovering the mysteries of Aswaf and we're like what 10 minutes in here we're gonna we're gonna solve everything by the end uh mighty isabel who would who would you say your favorite uh which is well, if you if you read Elchris, uh, uh, his post, and go all the way to the bottom, there mm. uh, he has nettles on the list, mm. um, oh. and with the quotation about uh, the burned men, um, and how the maesters believe that an offshoot clan of the painted dogs were said to have worshipped a fire witch in the mountains, sending their boys to bring mm. her gifts. And risk the flames of the dragon she commanded to prove their manhood. And that's obviously a reference to 
The theory that this fire witch is where Nettles went when she flew away with that dragon. And that's more that cool deep lore. She's, uh, uh, she's, she's, if, if she's Targaryen blood, we don't know how. And it's, she's very cool. And, and you don't have to be a Targaryen to ride a dragon. And the, these people thought she was a witch. So she's my pick. Yeah, I, I do really like Nettles, and she's one of the, I think, most interesting characters from the dance, in, in my opinion, so I like that. And I like the idea that she, you know, went up there and was like, alright, people bring me gifts. Or maybe they just decided to start doing that, and she's like, I don't know, what am I going to tell them? No? <laughs> Be rude. <Right. laughs> it is rude. <laughs> and whether or not it's true, it's because she's kind of Schrodinger's witch, which, that's fine. Mm. Ooh, Schrodinger's witch. You make a good witch. With the cat? Come on, witches and cats? It's almost like she's the opposite in some ways of Alice Rivers, where Alice Rivers is like purely, you know, she she's just straight up, everyone thinks she's a witch. <laughs> um, whereas Nettles kind of like earns her witchiness. She's like this, this peasant-born person who gets a dragon and then, you know, again, assuming this was her in the mountains, like graduates to... You know, she gets her PhD in in being a witch. She um, she's a witch, f- like from the people, and like, and she becomes a witch of the people. It's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the people's Inspiring. witch. Yeah. Man. Um, I also I just remembered something that Alice Rivers also choked a guy from like thirty miles away. Choked him to death. Darth Alice Rivers is what you're saying. Yeah, she Damn. pulled a Darth Vader because he said the wrong words. <sighs> Badass. But did Alice Rivers wow. get an entire clan of people, or no, a clan of the boys of the clan of people to offer a part of their bodies to the fire? As the mm. fire and blood, too, maybe. <laughs> 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 just wait for the sequel yeah I, you know what like reading if the, tar- so, if the Targaryen is involved the answer is yes yes fair fair but uh reading his post and you know it, I totally forgot about the burned men so in Elsie Chris's post he he writes under about nettles amongst the burned men a youth must give some part of his body to the fire to prove courage before he can be deemed a man and Thinking about Nettles not being able to refuse the gifts and then seeing what that eventually turns into. Could you imagine? She's just sitting up there like, I I did not tell them to do this. I don't I don't know <laughs> where they got this idea that this is what we should be doing. But uh I just wanted some food, guys, and this is this is uncalled for. <laughs> She's just chilling in her cave and some guy runs up to her and like cuts off his ear and is like, I worship you. Yeah, I've proved my <laughs> bravery. Like, I just wanted you bring bread. Me, I like, you bring like a muffin? I can't, I can't eat this. <laughs> or like, can I you? I never asked for this. <laughs> oh wait, what if it was for sheep stealer? <gasps> oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. May I, well, I've, I've I got to say. still a hell of a jump though, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean... Like it, if it's if it's for sheep stealer, you would have think they would have started with like a deer, and then what, were they just low one year? And hey, by the way, here's the ear. Yeah, you know, 
Ah, we we ran out of squirrel meat to give you. Yeah. <laughs> it's the cherry on top of the sh- of the elk. You just plop an ear on there. Oh, nice. Yes. Oh, as as one does. Well, I gotta say, I'm glad, uh, Isabel, that you brought up the the like end of the post where there's a bunch of these other kind of ancillary witches or witch adjacents thrown out there, because um, uh, uh, Elchris does bring up Nymeria, who is like mm-hmm. made in legend to be a witch um uh which uh shows up in book 1 but then also you know that there's rumors about her being a witch uh and since she ended up in Doran I suppose that would make her a sand witch oh Whoa. jeez wow oh. that's banned <laughs> <laughs> do we have a rim shot sound effect uh, that's at least the I set. would put one in. That's the second time I feel like we've needed one, so we need a counter of some sort. That's that's definitely. Oh, that's you mean a good you have like me. a whole mixing soundboard there, and you don't have a button for a rim shot? Come on, man. Uh, it's all, I do it all in post. Oh, I do okay. it all in post. <laughs> just pretend you heard a rim shot just now. <laughs> wow, that was such a good sound effect. Wow, amazing. Thank you. great so job. Crisp. It's like you're the witch. You're a sound witch. Sound witch. Sound, sound the sound witcher. Wow. <laughs> So, so are we talking about this post now, or? Yeah, I mean, are there any? Do, yeah, do you have some more thoughts on the witches? Mm, is Miri Mazdur not in the post? Mm. Mm. I did a text search and I didn't see it, and like I would think well, she would have been one a, of the main witches listed. But she's a professional she's like a healer and a and a and a and she has maester training. <laughs> She has well, a job. Yeah, but <laughs> but if you look at the definition that they give about what a woods witch is, it's like a local traveling herb woman who uses traditional healing and has prophetic dreams. I mean, and and if you look at like the history mm. of like witchcraft in like Europe and things, it's that's what the women who were called witches were the ones who were like, oh yeah, I can birth babies and I've got some medicine, and they're like, well, you're too powerful, so we're going to call you a witch. Like, you know, that's Mary Mazder, right? Like. Mm. And yeah, there, I mean, there, and there are definitely yeah. theories about what happened on the funeral pyre and whether the things that she was screaming had anything to do with Danny coming out of that unscathed and the dragons hatching and all of that. So, well, I mean, this isn't a list of all magical women. I mean, like Melisandre's not a woods witch. Mel, Mel is like given like a line, right? Yeah. I think that part of part of it is that it's. I think part of what Elchris24 wanted to do here is try to bring forward some of the witches that we don't necessarily see within the context of the story, though I guess Ghost of High Heart is on here, but trying to shine a light on some of the less noticed ones that are maybe more obscure in terms of woods witches. I think think there's some kind of correlation with Hedge Knights. Uh... In that Ooh. gender binary thing, where I, I don't know what that means, but that, that 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 they're sort of like on the periphery of the of the power structures, and they have some like special skills, uh, but but they're not like totally accepted. They can't just like roll up into court without without some things happening to make that possible. Yeah, it says here in the wiki that they're associated with hedge wizards, which is. Mm-hmm. They say it's like a hedge witch, but a mm-hmm. wizard. 
But yeah, and, I mean, I'm not saying she should have been included on the list of of woods witches, but she didn't even get a shout out at the end when they mentioned like Nymeria yeah. or Mel. Did Mary yeah. make any sort of prophecies? Yeah, sort of. she told Danny that um, mm-hmm. the whole when the sun rises in the west and sets in the east and the. Well, there is contention as to whether or not that's a prophecy. But right. Yeah, I thought that like, was a, a, a very dramatic way of saying never. Right. And then it like, sort of became. How would we know that what Maggie the Frog said is true? Like, Well, you know what's interesting, too, is that I, I'm glad you brought up the hedge wizards thing. Because hedge, hedge wizards, we never meet any hedge wizards, really, in the series. They're just mentioned sometimes. Um, and pretty much every time they come up in like a description of a scene a hedge wizard is like someone who is uh like offering kind of shitty advice or is trying to pass off the head of like some other dwarf as Tyrion Lannister or like is is like a little you know independent businessman whereas woods witches definitely seem to carry more like more more weight like they they generally seem associated more with like real magic as opposed to like, oh, he's, he's just, just a hedge grifters. wizard. He's, he's like, the, the great and powerful Wizard of Oz, right? Like, yes, yeah, he's doing yeah. little like shell game tricks and stuff. Um, it kind of sounds like, a, I'm not sure if the right, what the right word for this, but it almost sounds like a reference for green seers, like a hedge wizard, a green seer, kind of a similar sort of thing. Maybe a uh, leftover thing for Andals who had disparaging names for everything related to the old to the uh, old gods in the first men. I don't know. It, at least on the, I had never, or I didn't remember hearing the, the term hedge wizard. But from the few descriptions listed of instances in the books, it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like hedge wizards actually have any sort of power. Unlike green seers, who, when we see of them, see them or hear of them, they can genuinely do something. You know, Jojen really can see. The future and make prophecies whereas the hedge wizards like um we were just saying don't do anything useful <laughs> right and the andals being following the faith of the seven would be like they don't think they do anything they think they're just a bunch of weirdos in the woods chanting at trees and that kind of thing hmm. they're also non-conformists they're they're people who yeah. aren't mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like going along with the plant the crops and bring them in and go out and plant some more like they're doing their own thing i see i see them more as like um a binary to the maesters that Mm -hmm. you've got the woods witches who are informally trained who are female who are perhaps using magic or some kind of divination to help the local communities as opposed to the maesters who are a very you know ordered community only male professionally trained they're serving the the lords and things they're not serving the small folk so mm-hmm. that's where I see the binary there. Mm-hmm. Then they're very like logically mm-hmm. like anti-magic, you know, except for Marwyn. And they say Marwyn, don't they? It's he. They say he keeps company with hedge wizards. So it's like a pejorative. Yeah, there is nothing that is more the opposite of like a cool spooky witch than a boring old uh, dude who teaches like. I don't know mathematics. Not to not to not nothing against mathematics. Wow. Uh, I take that one back. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it could definitely be like a if we're gonna get conspiratorial, right? I mean, mm. I could see the maesters running a sort of not even like necessarily conscious campaign, but one that works to discredit 
hedge wizards, which would make sense because the hedge wizards would therefore end up sort of taking power away from the allure of having a maester or the maesters themselves and their knowledge. Like, what's the point of going to the citadel and getting, like, all this knowledge and trying to go through the whole fucking system, right, if you could just be a hedge wizard? Are hedge wizards rejects from the citadel? Ooh, it's Halden Halfmaester a hedge wizard? Maybe. Are there woods witches who yeah. who are women who refuse to go to the Silent Sisters? We don't really know that much about them, to be honest. Yeah. We almost none of them get a backstory other than Alice Rivers. Yeah, her backstory was so amazing. They just there's no room for any of the others. <laughs> <laughs> she really crowds them out. <laughs> so one of the great posts from the last month or so comes from. Swamp or Swampo Greg Lord? Swampo Edge Lord? No. I as Swamp usual. Ogre Lord, like Shrek. Oh, there we go. Swamp Ogre Lord 2. <laughs> Swamp and, Ogre uh, Lord 2. Swamp Ogre Lord 2, the man, the myth, and uh legend. Who created a <laughs> Wester- Westeros public transit map based on the books. And it's this really great map that accounts for different um, soils. That's not right. But in Dorne, it's it's red because obviously it's desert. And he has different lines going all throughout Westeros. And there's even a line that goes over the, what is that? The Bay of Ice. And it's from Deepwood Mott. And it's just, it's really well done. But I, I also have to say, too, that I'm from Pittsburgh and we don't really have a public transit system. So other than looking really, really nice, like the, the art he created is is genuinely pretty. I, I can't really speak to its effectiveness as far as public transit systems go. He included mm. ferry services to Pike. That's so good. And like ferry mm-hmm. services across Blackwater. And oh, that's so cool. There's even a ferry service to uh, the prison island of Gaston Gray off the coast of Dorne, which hey. I can only assume would be like Alcatraz or something. Yeah. In this, uh, like you go, you go there, visit for a day, you know, reenact scenes from The Rock. Um, <laughs> oh, I know. I just noticed there's a Do Tower some of accents. Jo- There's a Tower of Joy stop, which seems... <laughs> oh, there is. Like, 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 great from our perspective, but in world, it would just be like graves. Because didn't Ned say he built cairns out of the actual tower? I think you know. I, I will say, having having ridden the DC Metro many times, I feel like there are stops <laughs> that are basically the Tower of Joy, mm-hmm. where yeah. like no one ever gets off. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I guess Rhaegar got off, and oh, got off. that's oh, that's uh. Written shot. Uh, there is an Arlington Cemetery stop. So that's true. Mm. Yeah, that's only the tourists who get off. <laughs> and I think that's what it is, right? You go to the Tower of Joy, and you're like, "All right, guys, this is where Rhaegar where it all happened. ran away with his mistress." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the idea that there's like tour guides there and they're very ambiguous. It's like, well, what what exactly happened here? We don't really know. Conflicting reports. Don't tell King Robert, though. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they have people reenact Excellent. it. They have reenactors for like 
Okay. Don't like how? Well, no, well, no, 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 not that part. Reenacting the, 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 the like the parts from Ned's fever dream. The, the. Yeah. Now it begins. No, now it ends. Like who doesn't want to watch that? Well, I, you, the train like dr- pulls into the station, and there's like a big fan blowing blue rose petals out like in front of the windows for there's effect. Just a bunch of it's a whole industry shoveling them back into. Yeah. A- <laughs> yeah, they've got these big snow shovels of blue roses. <laughs> there is the- Arthur Dane with a very floppy Don that like is just made out of rubber. <laughs> Wait, what? Floppy Don. Um, yeah, a fake sword. I, I like that uh, it's called the King's Rail, the the main line that runs up and down West. Oh, Rose. like the King's Road. That's that a nice good. touch. Mm-hmm. I I'm trying to imagine what the King's Landing Station is like i mean i have some familiarity with the new york city uh times square station and i'm on one hand i'm kind of picturing king the king's landing station where all the lines converge being this just like complete maze of i'm i'm doing staircase hands gestures and uh (laughs) uh and tunnels and all kinds of passageways like the Times Square station is, but maybe it's just all like in the dragon pit and, uh, and they just repurpose the dragon pit as, uh, as a transit stop. Uh, yeah. Or, um, I wonder if, uh, uh, like the, the caches of drag of wildfire get cleared out (gasps) to make room for like, Oh, can you imagine (laughs) digging those tunnels and just finding the, the, uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of uh, Italian immigrants who come over to like dig out the wildfire caches. Um, hey Tony, found some wildfire over here. Uh, rest in peace to my my great 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 grandfather who died doing that in New York. Oh no! I was like, man, too Which, bad Jones Tony couldn't join us tonight. Ah, uh, yeah, With his New York the... accent. Speaking Jones of Jones Tony, Tony I'm, I'm kidding. He's not here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> <laughs> waiting for this exact joke. <laughs> That's right. Uh, huh. Now it's so detailed and and uh it's stylized just like yeah. like all the distances are are stylized just like you would see in you know in a real transit map. Like you know you're looking at this and you're like, "Oh, it's not that far from I don't know, uh Storm's End to Evenfall Hall or whatever." I could t- I could take the ferry there, but <laughs> so there's a thing that happens with with maps like this where the people who use the transit system and use the map um, end up kind of thinking of the geography matching the stylized map rather than the real mm. geography. And if you did that with this map, you would think that like uh, uh, you would think that uh, well, I'm looking to see. Yeah, you'd think that Winterfell was a lot closer to Moat Kaelin and to River Run than it is on a on a huh. uh, on a to scale map. Yeah, the neck looks a lot thicker. It does. And it does. Easier to traverse. But that helps. You know, it helps the rider if you can visualize where the stops are in relationship to each other. So it's not. It's a map that's not mm. going for scale accuracy, and uh, and I like that the. the uh, I, I like that this user recreated that about the transit maps. It's, yeah. it's interesting that the Twins is not a bottleneck on this map the way it is uh, on oh, land. Yeah. That is interesting. So if you're a commuter, yeah, must... you know, maybe you don't have to, like, play the Mayhaps game with Walder Frey. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, they must have been pretty the main bad, selling right? point. The twins is the twins. Like they would have definitely, I'm sure, tried to get people to go through there and pay maybe another toll, right? Mm. If you're passing the north and you have to, I don't know, get a new ticket or, or add on. Yeah. So they just built the king's extra, rail right? around it. And like, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because uh, you might you might have noticed at the bottom this was this is the uh, Westeros Transit Authority JSC in cooperation with Lannister finances. Uh, oh. So mm. this is clearly oh. the Lannisters trying to g- oh. get one over mm-hmm. on the phrase. Um, I mean, well, I that's you know I, I Rock is such I've a never been hub too. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I've never been that interested in like the like alternate. You know uh, what happens after Game of Thrones or whatever. Like what's you know what's mm-hmm. Westeros like in the future? But this is the one exception are. where I'm like I, I want to see like what, what's the what's the you know who's commuting <laughs> from like Moat Kalen up to Winterfell because the property values in Moat Kalen are ridiculously <laughs> cheap. <laughs> And so, so that it's worth the like two hour train ride. Do you, do you think, all the crocodiles, man? Do do we think that dragons would be like harnessed as like power to dig these tunnels out, or is this post dragon Westeros? Mm-hmm. The post dragons would be better. Oh, uh-huh. mm. or maybe Bran uses like the roots of the the weirwoods to like crack open. Some Bran, tunnels. the train builder. And, uh, <laughs> wow. Yes. Choo choo. Can he build it? Get on yes, the hype he train. Can. <laughs> I do have one problem with this map. Uh-huh. What's your problem with this map? I Matt? have a problem with this map that nobody's taken that ferry service to Pike. That is a wasted <laughs> yeah. service. <laughs> maybe nobody's getting on those boats. Nobody's going to the Iron Islands because if you don't come back, maybe, maybe I was just I'm just surprised like there's two ferry. ferries. Like maybe it doesn't run very often. Hmm. It's like something out of a Lovecraft book where, uh, where is it, uh, Shadows Over Innsmouth, where there's like one bus that goes to Innsmouth and yeah. nobody's ever on it. That's basically what's going on here. Just yeah. just get rid of the service. Definitely. Nobody's going. It's interesting that there are two stops, right, on the arbor. Uh, sorry, three stops. Three stops on the arbor. Yeah. Oh, Vine yeah. Town. Starfish Harbor. Is that is that canon? I don't remember Starfish these are, Harbor. These are all canon. That's where you can find uh, Patrick Star. <gasps> uh. <laughs> How's Star? Of course. I'm sorry. Patrick Star, Sh- Shrek, mm-hmm. Swamp Ogre Lord. <laughs> I feel I feel like the three stars. Bobo sponges. <laughs> down there as like a like a vineyard tour or like a winery tour you know that's where the uh, bachelorette oh. parties of Westeros go oh my god yes <laughs> so yes. which, which yeah. one which line do y'all think the like the Hogwarts train runs on you know like the really old fashioned steam train <laughs> oh um, that's gotta be the veil that has to be the veil <laughs> yes yet yeah, chugging up around the mountain passes <laughs> mm-hmm. like yeah the bird maybe they have, show up maybe years. they have like a cog railway like they have in wales going up to snowden where it's like the grade is so steep that normal trains can't go up it so they have this like cool Ooh. cog system that the train kind of goes on these like gear shaped wheels up the mountain oh, oh. that'd be amazing it's a little veil. terrifying or I guess they could just have cable cars. That would probably be easier. But Oh, true. Yeah. <laughs> like a funicular system. No one. Is that what that's called? 
no, not cable cars like you're talking about, I don't think. Unless you mean the ones that go up and down a mountain. The inclines. Yeah. Yeah. A funicular. And I only know that because I live in Pittsburgh. (laughs) (laughs) And you said you didn't know anything about transportation. (laughs) I I had no idea. Is that the thing in the air? No, not in the air. It's like a... So one car goes down and one car goes up, and it's on a I've giant. On inc- the incline, yeah. There's two of them at I least right so. now. You, if you if you've done a touristy thing in Pittsburgh, you probably have. I will say I think it's interesting that they bothered to build a ferry service out to uh, the Isle of Skagos. Um, <laughs> Again, who's going? You there? know, it's optimistic. What, yeah, well, I, not, I think. What if it's not like boats? What if it's unicorns? You ride oh, unicorns? There we go. That's a fairy. There we Wait, go. Wait, can unicorns swim? I know. I'm picturing Pegasuses, but you know. Pegasus. <laughs> but, I mean, it's not just—it's not just for people to visit Skagos, right? Yeah. Like again, it's the commuters, mm. right? Yeah. Someone from Skagos yeah. coming in, someone who lives on Skagos coming into Winterfell, right, to go or whatever work, mm. and then goes right. back home, or maybe it doesn't run frequently, right? <laughs> or yeah. maybe someone's going to Scago slash Eastwatch, you know, watching whatever's going on. Because this is what I'm talking about. This is the this is the fan fiction I need. Is like the, the who are the commuters of Westeros, mm. and where are they like you know, Shrek. are they like little commuter hotels that you stay in, you know, on on the on the mainland, and then actually, like the, I, oh, I need it. <laughs> I think there is a big problem with the North in this one. Clearly, White Harbor would be the financial hub. And yet, that does not seem uh, to be the main hub of all the rails. Right? Where is... Interesting. Yeah. Everything should be going through White Harbor. Really no, you're right. Be. They should be. Yeah. But Come th- on. That, no, the reason why is because if this is in cooperation with Lannister Finances, then they wouldn't want too many people going to White Harbor because that's a comp- competitor. Yeah, it's that. Oh. It's that. But And then, like, oh. the Boltons have oh. their own line... That line running from White Harbor on the east side. Oh, you do not want to get on that train. Don't get on that train. The Flame Man Express. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, man. Rather be delayed than be flayed. That's the that's the saying people say about avoiding that line. That'll be the little the little urban legend. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So the next post um, is actually um, a conversation as part of a post that was made by Frank Walsingham, and it was the most unintentionally funny line in the book. <laughs> the, the, the actual funny line is, John felt 15 years old again. Jon Snow, 16 years old. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this kind of like this, this um, you know, the, the kids reflecting on their ages all the time, like thinking about that they're older than they feel or that they should be acting, you know, older than they are, um, brought up this line in, well, the, the comment is from Robert Rivers and they <laughs> said, um, early in Game of Thrones, Ned is talking to Kat and says something along the lines of Rickon needs to stop acting like a child. He'll be four soon. <laughs> um, I had to look it up cause I wanted to make sure it was like, yeah, I think that's in the book. I think it's in the first cat chapter. And, um, it's when Kat goes to have the conversation with Ned in the Weirwood, in the Godswood. And, um, uh, you know, he's asking about how the kids are doing with their direwolf pups. 
and uh, Arya is already in love. Sansa is charmed and gracious, but Rickon's not quite sure. Is he afraid? Ned asked. A little, she admitted. He's only three. Ned frowned. He must learn to face his fears. He will not be three forever, and winter is coming. <laughs> <laughs> I love the I love the exposition and like uh, the introduction of all this stuff in the early chapters because you feel like it's so cliched. Like winter is coming. Yeah. Yes, Catelyn agreed. The words gave her a chill as they always did. The Stark words. Every noble house had its words, right? It's like we know all this. Why are you telling me? But anyway. Um, so it started this discussion about, you know, Bran thinking that he's nearly a man grown when he's age seven, you know, that he needs to, to act like the Lord of the castle because he's nearly a man. Um, Aeris Eight Birds responds that they, um, want to insert themselves into the book and yell at Ned for the comment, talking about how a lot of the characters had to assume responsibility when they were at very young ages. Like with Kat, her mom died, um, giving birth to her brother, right? Is that... So she was like seven mm. or eight, and suddenly she is the Lady of River Run. Um, and so, you know, is she is she um, imposing that on Arya when she wants Arya to be more grown up, act more grown up and ladylike than she is? Is she thinking back to her own childhood, right? When she mm. encounters Robert Aaron um, in the Eyrie and she sees how young he acts and how horribly unprepared he is to be a you know a boy lord is she thinking about how she had to take over the castle when she was that age um so it was an interesting mm. conversation about you know the the ages of the stark children especially and how old they are thinking about our modern ages but then also how old they are in terms of the responsibilities that they have in the story something i thought of after hearing the or reading the comment about Ned and Kat losing their their parents is that I wonder if that is one of the things that sort of brought them together because they had such a happy marriage it just made me it it it's something I had never considered before reading that that both of them knew what it was like to lose a parent unexpectedly and young too like like the the way that responsibility gets foisted onto both of them as the firstborn Mm-hmm. Or, well, sorry, not Ned yeah. as the firstborn, but as as the one who like ends up assuming that responsibility, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, that it, does definitely color their expectations for kids. A, a lot of the a lot of the discussion we 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 have on the subreddit is about like the prophecies and the futures and the, and the battles and and the succession fight, uh, but the, these. Uh, these quotations really pull out how much the uh, the stories built around these coming of age stories, and kind of right out of the gate, the 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 parents are saying it's time they got they got to get together, got to they got to get it together, they got to grow up, they got to and without understanding anything about what these kids are going to go through for their coming of age. Yeah, I almost wonder if this is kind of like meta on George's part because he said in the mm-hmm. past that. Um, he is unhappy with how young he made the kids and maybe like in retrospect he went back and like I really should have made them older but like the die is cast sort of thing like that was a big problem with the five-year gap is that he was like I am so tired of writing kids POVs I want them to be adults so I can think like them Mm -hmm. but as a result he ends up putting quite a lot of responsibility on them that is like totally unrealistic well, and, and lines like he won't be three forever or brands nearly a man grown at seven. They hit a little different if you think that 
over the course of the story, they are going to age like 10 mm-hmm. years or whatever. Like if Rickon truly won't be three forever, but the thing is, he's been <laughs> like three to five for like 30 years. So it does seem a little ridiculous. But yeah, like like if, if you're early George and you're thinking, ah, well, yeah, you know, these kids are young, but yeah, they'll be teenagers by the, you know, or adults, young adults, whatever. Yeah, it, it, it might strike a little differently. And the five-year gap was in and of itself a band-aid o- over the fact that, uh, as you were saying, right, George kind of thought that the characters were going to age faster, e- even within the context of the story. He thought that time would pass faster. That could be part of why, like, Bran at seven, Ned saying he's almost a man grown. Same with Rickon. And even, I actually highly disagree with that. I really don't think that this is actually accurate for the medieval mindset either. I know people will argue that this is... Um, this is reflective of the values of the medieval society. And if you do the research, it, it actually isn't. There is, in fact, a concept of childhood. Mm-hmm. And there isn't a concept of adolescence per se, but there is a concept of childhood and what it means um, in terms of development and regardless of the responsibilities that are placed on children, right? It doesn't change the science. Children's brains develop within a certain way, regardless of time or age. Humans haven't changed that much since over the past few centuries but i mean if anything it would be slower in the middle ages exactly <laughs> yeah there's there's less stimuli perhaps to to, to jump start that there's it's not nutrition, really like, nutrition codified and, yeah. yeah nutrition codified literacy things like that but uh it, it kind of almost could feel like foreshadowing in terms of how the story actually goes and what happens with brand's story like perhaps george thought that brand would age up faster but soon after right within the second book or by the second book, Brand is in charge of Winterfell, right? You don't expect a seven mm. slash eight or nine year old. Um, I think he's probably eight at the time of a Clash of Kings, but he's now the Lord of Winterfell, and he's like, "Shit, I'm holding a feast. All right, I don't know. Give the give the thing to that person." And it's the exact same situation that Catelyn found herself in to an extent, though at least she had Hoster Tully there. And Brand's like, "I don't know. I got Hodor and I got Maester <laughs> Lewin and Rickon." <laughs> Some wildling chick. <laughs> got a couple wolves. Uh, yeah, and I got a dog. And these are my advisors and the strangers from the neck. One who thinks he knows the future. Oh shit, he does. Do I know the future? And then the fate of the world is in his hands. So I so so it almost feels like a an not like an omen from Ned, but in a way foreshadowing, even though you're like, wow, when you think about it, you're like, that's fucking ridiculous. Like, children shouldn't have this weight on their shoulders. And as Isabel was saying, it's a coming-of-age story, and that's what a lot of the the kids in the story have to deal with. Yeah. Now, I could say a lot about child development and, like, Arya. (laughs) And the things that she does and thinks about as, like, a nine-year-old that are just um, not going to resolve the way people, a lot of people wish that they would resolve if, like, she were a real nine-year-old without her being, like, a psychopath. Um yeah, and I mean, I think some of it is because George is such a gardener, and so he doesn't have that endpoint anchored down to where he can work his way backward to know mm-hmm. like how old they should be when it starts. And I think mm-hmm. um, some of it is just that he's so bad with numbers that like he just really <laughs> you know can't conceptualize a hundred foot wall or a seven year old child. Um, yeah, well, on that, you know what though, on that point, I, that's something I wanted to bring up is that, and, and I don't. Th- this isn't an implication of anything one way or the other, but that George doesn't have kids, you know, and so he hasn't Mm. seen that firsthand. And not that you, and I'm not saying you can't write a book or a story if you've 
never experienced it. But in this case, it really does seem to have affected his his point of view with how the characters act. And I'm remembering an old So Spake Martin from the early 2000s, maybe, where someone wrote into him back when he used to answer emails and chats or whatever. And they were talking about um, feeding a newborn goat's milk. And I really just need to bring this up because, but the end result of it was that George was writing back to the woman who had written in saying, oh, wow, I had no idea that that could, you could do that. And I'd really like to talk to you more about like what a newborn baby would eat in the absence of its mother. And it just, it was an interesting point I guess because it seems like there are some things that we sort of assume he's doing for a reason or a meta reason or it's foreshadowing and maybe it is but maybe it's also just because he didn't really know and didn't really think about it yeah I yeah. I, I yeah. agree a lot and a lot of I, it can feel a lot of times like what what George is doing to portray immaturity is to to talk is to show us what the young character doesn't know without necessarily mm. uh, having put the work into showing us what that young character can or can't do. Hmm. I thought one, uh, one example that sticks out is the, um, when Bran sees Jamie and Cersei and George goes to the old trope. Oh, well they're wrestling. There's some mm. weird wrestling going on in there. And it's like, I don't know about that one, but that's certainly uh, a popular fiction trope that you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess right. you can you can you can forgive some of the inconsistencies, and even between children in the book, because I mean, kids are different, right? Like every yeah. eight year old is yeah. not going to have the same competencies. You know, some of them are going to be Robert Aaron, and some of them are going to be Cat running uh, running um, River Run, right? Like, <laughs> True. so you know, not every eight year old is going to be. Is gonna is gonna realize that they're not wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I do think that's something. That's a good point that you raise by bringing up Robert Aaron, who's brought up later on as well, right? By R's uh, eight birds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. R's <laughs> um, eight birds, and you do get then a sense of being able to compare Robert Aaron and Brad and the way that each of their parents have prepared them right like bran has been thrust into this position and so has robert aaron very much but bran's bran's parents were and we can also read it to an extent right uh, if if they're informed by cat losing her parents and as you said ned losing his parents early on like this sort of trauma informed parenting that is uh led to bran being like way more prepared for this than robert aaron who's like i don't know and therefore being taken advantage of by the people around him. Mm. There's there's also something interesting there at that age that Bran and Robin Robin are at that, um, you know, that's when children are fostered to other highborn yeah. families, when especially male children mm. like to become squires and things. Yeah. And um, there's some of that in the books too, where like Cat really doesn't want Bran to go south, but he's really the right age that he really should be, and Lysa doesn't want Robin to go anywhere, and. But the, you know, this is that actually is you know the age that they would they would send, um, not 
I don't know necessarily like, I mean, it depends on the family and what rank you are. Like you wouldn't want to send your heir away necessarily or not too far. But, you know, that was a big part of alliances and things in the feudal period. Yeah. How old was Ned when he was fostered? Do we know kind of ballparkish? I mean, I know he was he was young because um, obviously uh, he and Robert had their like formative middle school and high school years. Together, yeah, I would think it would be around that eight or nine. Yeah, but I don't that know. That would make sense. Yeah, I I don't know that we've ever. Oh, yeah. OK. No, it's on the wiki. Uh, it was oh. fostered from the age of eight uh, at, at the Erie. So, yeah, literally right then. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I wonder, uh, I mean, and, and obviously this is all coming from George, so it's not like it's a, a world that exists independently of the, the author, but, you know, I, I wonder the extent to which like Westerosi parents, if there's like a, 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 like skip a generation kind of cycle where it's like you, you foster your kid and then that kid grows up and is like more precious maybe about having their hands on their kid. And then the next generation is more is is more like willing to give to to like let the you know let them get out of the nest or whatever. Like I, I wonder if it's that kind of um, generation skipping type thing. Um, I mean, Doran fosters out Quentin Martell, and I think for me it still mm. comes back to both Ned and Liza, very much both again having trauma in their background as affecting their willingness to let their children be mm. fostered because Ned's like, I, it's too soon. He's like, it's too soon. And Catelyn's like, it's really not. <laughs> Ned's like, I mean, his entire family, right? Yeah. They were split apart and they all fell apart and they all died. And now here he is. He feels very alone and like he's responsible for his family's legacy, whereas Liza was going to have a child that she chose to want to keep. And that abortion was forced on her without her knowledge. It was unconsensual, right? And so this time she really treasures this child that she's finally been able to have. And that's something that she can feel she can have agency over at the expense of her own son's agency. Well, and, and on top of Lysa's trauma, not only did she have the forced abortion of Littlefinger's child, the after she married John Aaron, she had miscarriages yeah. and stillbirths. I mean, she had so many that it's, it, it, it makes sense that she would be traumatized and would cling that more tightly to the only child that she has that survived. Yeah. And I think that that's very true. You know, we don't always discuss it, but like miscarriages can be, I mean, they're, they're really big events or really painful events for many people. And Liza wasn't wrong to be skeptical of the houses that were offering to take her child away. Like, true, mm. true, true. They, yeah, just send him right over to Taiwan. No, yeah, not wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not paranoid if they're actually out to get you. Nope. <laughs> yeah, well, that's inter- true. <laughs> yeah, right. It's interesting too, like the the way like duty and that trauma kind of kind of intertwine, especially with Liza. I realize we are like miles away from the original comment, but um, when it when it comes to Liza, like you know, there's this. She, yeah, she she experiences a ton of trauma and is also undergoing the like just inherent pressure of being a noble woman whose duty it is to have a son, like to have yeah, a male heir, yeah. or you know, to produce the male heir, and so. It, it, 
But yeah, I mean, it, it all compounds, right? It's all mm-hmm. these things like stacked up on top of Is each it, other because um, not only not only has she experienced all this trauma, but also now she she like is extra compelled to feel t- that she needs to um, safeguard this this male heir because that you know as a noble woman is what yeah is what she's supposed yeah. to cr- give to the world. Right. Um, is so is there yeah, some I mean that's that's fucked early on about about like Cersei wants Jamie Lannister to be warden of the East. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and so so again, Lysa's totally right to not let Robin get hauled away to Casterly Rock. Like mm-hmm. when when Cersei's angling to put Jamie Lannister in charge anyway. Uh yeah. Lysa Aaron did nothing wrong. <laughs> except except oh, that boy. one thing. Yeah, except the one, the one That's thing. That's the official Maester Monthly. The uh, one thing named Robin, yeah. In no, other... no, murdering, I thought it was murdering her husband. <laughs> Isn't that the okay, one thing? except for that. Yeah, that, a couple that would things. be. And starting the War of the Five Kings. No, she did nothing wrong. What's so complicated about this? I understand a few things. <laughs> Before we move off of this topic, so I looked up the So Spake Martin from a couple of minutes ago, and I just want mm. to just draw attention to it because it's it illustrates how little I feel like George knew about babies and kids and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so the person writing in this is in June 2003 the person writing in says I love your books and I would be glad to answer any questions you might have about birth or breastfeeding and George says I'll take you up on that and he says in a medieval setting like mine if neither the mother nor a wet nurse is available to feed an infant what sort of milk would be best for the child cow's milk goat's milk mare's milk could anything be added to it to make it more nourishing and a better substitute for human breast milk at what age can a solid food be added and what sort of solid food should it be in a world before gerbers i know honey can kill infants but i don't know what's good for them porridge mashed turnips stewed something or other Stewed fruit sounds as though it might be an idea, but they don't have a lot of fresh fruits on the wall right now with winter almost upon them. Any info you can provide would be appreciated. And this is this. I I don't even know what to say, because I feel like in 2003, Google existed and there are. Yes. (laughs) And speaking as someone who, when pregnant, went through all of the the deluge of information about what you should feed a baby and not feed a baby and whatever. There's a lot of resources out there. So the fact that he's having this conversation with a fan who wrote in tells it, it tells it, it, it speaks to a lot of information that he didn't have when writing some of these characters. I think I will certainly say, I mean, he he's, He's read a ton of books about, uh, you know, jousting and shit. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, you'd think he could crack open like a Doctor Oz or whatever. What's it? What is it? Not Doctor Oz. Is that the guy? No, I don't. Doctor Spock. Um, oh my god! Yeah, Dr. I got him mixed up. Not Doctor Oz. Yeah, yeah well, I never Dr. really Doctor Spock either. What's that guy's name? <laughs> I had like his entire yeah, uh, whatever. 
you know, one of them, one of them, one of them baby Dr. books. Sears. No, but I mean, yeah, like, like there's a it, lot. Doctor Sears, it, maybe. I it does. I, it, I think that's a really good observation. It does speak to the research that he uh, does because he loves it and because it's his hobby, and then the research that he does because he's like, ah, oh, fuck, what do what do what do babies eat? <laughs> I mean, like, I will say that George has written quite enough about lactation uh, <laughs> in certain contexts that I do think he uh. should have done some. Some research on this. I will say that, that that he has written about that, not in the context that you would necessarily think it would be. Um, right. Yeah. He's he's missing the nutritional side of things. I think. Kid, is what, yeah. Is what Babies you're and kids really do not interest him. And yet he keeps writing about them. You know, I will I will point out two things. One, our intro question that we thankfully changed was almost, who is your favorite A Song of Ice and Fire, baby? We should have yes. added, and what would you feed them? Yeah, and then we were like, wait, well, how come there is no compiled list of these Song of Ice and Fire babies? So uh, that that was a and in an alternate universe that was our intro. I don't know that that was a huge mystery as to why there's not a compiled list already. The way I just want to be clear because you made it sound like it was a really huge question for us. My God, this is an oversight. We need to get on this immediately. It is an oversight. <laughs> How is it there should not? Definitely be like yeah, like wikioficeandfire.com slash category colon babies. Like, yeah, you know. I mean, there's I a list so. of. A list of Valyrian steel swords. There needs to be a list of babies. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Um, yeah. So I guess you know if one of us wanted to be the change that we want to see in the world, and it's not me today. Um, <laughs> if we want to go baby say, on baby. That's what you're very saying. smoothly passing that off. <laughs> no, that is not <laughs> me today. Not today. <laughs> and um, I will say that a good rebuttal or, or maybe to a all comparison the comparison post of of how babies are like Valyrian swords. which baby should inherit which valyrian sword based solely on personality or which valyrian steel swords are named after babies lady forlorn Mm -hmm. ice um widow's whale ice ice baby oh my god sorry (laughs) red rain i don't know oh god that's horrible that one's sad Yikes. There is a non-zero amount of babies that have been killed by Valyrian steel swords. We all know it. That's true. Yeah. Coming back to the to, to the posts and the ages, I will say that a nice rebuttal to it does come in a Clash of Kings where you, soon after, right, where Marcella says to Joffrey, like, we're children. We're supposed to be childish. And I, I do like oh, that yeah. that does get acknowledged at one point. And I, do, I, I mean, like, I know it's a silly line in the OP, but it does feel very true of being... A teenager. You know oh, who yes. you know who is the most the most accurate child ruler in the whole series? Who? Tommen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah, like absolutely. I wanna play with my kitty cats and I wanna outlaw beats and I will stamp whatever you ask me to stamp as long as I can go play with my wooden sword in the yard. Now, please. Yeah. <laughs> like he is eight. <laughs> there, there's oh, something about that crown that really unlocks the child personality in George's <laughs> writing. Yeah, I mean, he really digs That's into it more in fire and blood, so. Hmm. Crowns make children of us all? Mm-hmm. So, wow. I'm, try- I'm trying deep. to you know, get pithy about it. Yeah, yeah. You're wise. We need that, that uh, sound effect again. What sound effect? Which, which one? <laughs> the one of you bricking a basketball. Oh. What is that? <laughs> 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 
like a like a buzzer sound or like yeah. okay or whatever I'll the one was on from the beginning what were you talking about it's like um, rim shot the rim shot yeah need a rim shot sound right there yeah oh i thought it was basketball no 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 rim shot I thought okay. you're t- it's like a, why did like I think basketball with this group why did i think that <laughs> why would we know about basketball <laughs> matt that? i'm an idiot <laughs> is it because you That's wanted right. to talk about dunkin egg a little <laughs> is that the next one oh, that was God. that was admirable i i can't even flawless sorry michael i stole your court. thunder <laughs> that was amazing that's a horse in that store in that series too you know thunder i'm on I'm oh on. get it get the <laughs> come back of Duncan Egg, my favorite subject in the world. George, keep writing Duncan Egg. Don't finish the Song of Ice and Fire. I love you. Um, this post here by Silverback Barilla? Brorilla. Brorilla. Okay. Um, title, Spoilers Main. Duncan Egg Predictions and Theories. Uh, the old Brorilla here has quite a rundown of different tinfoil theories and ideas they want to express about what's going to happen at the end of the Dunkin' Egg story, which, spoiler alert, does end with them dying horrifically in flame screaming. You know, that's, that is a little bit of a come down, but you know, that's how it goes with George. He um, makes you like characters, and then he burns them alive in a horrific accident. He anyway, giveth and he taketh away. Yeah. Uh, some of the theories they wanted to talk about was the idea of Dunk the Lunk as thick of a co- as a castle wall, and... There's this um, long-standing theory in the fandom that Dunk will be somehow integral to saving uh, Rayella and Rhaegar from the flames, as well as some members of the royal family. Some people think it will be his boot because it's mentioned in the uh, the the Hedge Knight, I think. Yeah, hedge Knight. The idea that his um, that his his foot is worth a prince's life or something like that. Yeah. There's a lot of little hints about it, and essentially, it gets down to the idea that. Um, when you compare Dunk with some of his supposed ancestors and a lot of the lines early on with George's style that we're leading up to a horrific summer hall story, if we ever get it, where he's in a position to have to either save the royal family or have to defy Egg in some way to protect them from the out-of-control wildfire, however it started. But it ended up becoming more of a post, sort of a general overall theory thing, like, why do you think Summerhall exploded? How did it go down? Did Dunk save them? What kind of things? Um, what are the outcomes you want to see or do you hope do you see? And um, obviously I'm all over this post because I love Dunkin' Egg and I love Summerhall and thinking about, I have my own theories about it, but there's quite a lot of others. Which ones do you guys favor? What do you think happened at Summerhall? I got to say my favorite thing from the OP that I, I don't, I mean, if I've seen it, I forgot about it. Um, because uh, my brain is Swiss cheese, but uh, the the thing where Egg continually shouts, you know, oh, get him, sir, get him, he's right there um, <laughs> in, in all fight scenes. I really love the idea that those are Egg's last words and he's telling Dunk to get Jaharis out of Summerhall. Mm-hmm. Um, like, get him, get him. Like, I'm getting goosebumps right now just, just saying that. Like, that's, that would be, God. Mm. That's all <laughs> I can uh, say. I mean, these yeah. these mantras, like, there's something about them that reminds me of of 
the way the Hodor mystery mm-hmm. plays out, uh, where like the answer is in his name, mm. uh, and and because like I was tempted to be like, oh, this is this is this is tinfoil, but uh, there's something about it that kind of it rhymes. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. Yeah, I I I agree with the the foot thing. Like, I don't know what that what Dunk's foot will do, but it they drew George drew too much attention to it not to be important. Like like you were saying, Isabel, like Hodor, it it seems like it 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 can't not be. There can't not be something that comes back to that. It just seems like too much of a, an mm. important line to be just a throwaway. I think, yeah, I think the Hodor comparison is a really good one because that uh, is one of the best demonstrations we have of of how George might hide like a long term thing that he's thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the way he hides it is just by like sticking it in there, and like when you get it, you get it. You know, like it, it it's. It's not something you can necessarily predict except by accident because the circumstances of, of how it comes back are so specific. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, the chills you get when you realize why he says Hodor are the same chills yeah. that I think I would get if, if you know, Egg's last words are get him, sir. Or if, you know, Dunk, the last time we see Dunk, he's like kicking down a door in Summer Hall with the foot that, you know, like all these kind of yeah. Yeah. these these deep cut throwbacks that are popping up all over this thread. Um, yeah, I mean, all of those are ones that would give you chills and, and you can't necessarily predict it, but you know, you know, it's going to hit somehow. One of the users in the thread, Zerped, uh, speculates, yes, but does Dunk give Egg one last clout on the ear before his death? <laughs> oh, He's like, you, yeah, yeah, you dunce. Why'd you hatch them dragons? <laughs> <laughs> you big dummy. Oh, yeah, you, gotcha. You big doo-doo head. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm one of the very few people in the world, perhaps in denial, that Egg was doing something nefarious. Like, I think there was some sort of accident. Like, it would have been okay except for something. Like, someone else did the bad thing. Mm. And I feel like that's having too much faith in a happy or hopeful ending <laughs> than George has demonstrated to us repeatedly is not going to happen. Mm. Yeah. Um, one of the things that got brought up in this thread, um, I'm actually one of the people <laughs> that wrote one of the popular theories about how, um, how this will go badly and how it's going to be Egg's fault. And one of the things I, I cling to as to why I it feels right even even more than like the evidence I found and that is the idea that when you compare Egg with like Arian Brightflame and you compare him with Ares there's these weird connections between them of these kind of self-owns that happen where it's the <laughs> the um the pursuit of prophecy and the pursuit of dragons the pursuit of power is something you see echo throughout so many of his characters and then when you hear that Egg was trying to restore the dragons in order to essentially it, he he was morally trying to help the kingdoms, but to everyone else, it looked like he was going to bring back the rule of Dragonfire, and that would be the kind of thing George would show us as a um, a tragic downfall of a character who was trying to do something they felt was right, but everyone else um, saw it very differently and ended up being their downfall. Kind of like uh, in the in the current story, 
that's a story that's happening very much to Stannis. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I, th- I like that because I think that it's a question that's raised amongst the Targaryens, right? I don't necessarily, you know, the in Daenerys' chapter, she asks how far is the, it, I don't have the line verbatim, but it's like, how far is the distance between madness and great, greatness? What's so mm-hmm. different between it? And, you know, the intent between both is, it matters greatly for Arian. He wanted to be a dragon, perhaps, to gain his own personal power, but it sounds like something could be happening in Egg's storyline. We know that he has a lot of issues with trying to get a lot of the more powerful lords on his side because Egg is very much interested in the plight of the lower class in the Westeros. So, uh, you know, I think that that makes a lot of sense. A part of what I like, and this is kind of simple, but part of what I like about this theory is, on one hand, yeah, uh, there it's a great catch that it's this is something that's being established about Egg's character growing up. So in one way, how are we going to see the same line manifest throughout uh, the other Duncan Egg stories? What other skirmishes is Duncan going to get into where Egg's got to be like, get him, sir, get him. He's right there. But also it, it kind of feels like a in the same way that Egg might be trying to do that, like it feels like a gut punch. You know, it's like if you see that line one more time in that context, it feels like it's punching into you and just ripping your heart out and i'm like no <laughs> everyone why doesn't that feel like germ mm-hmm. <laughs> that does mm-hmm. my heart's in conflict with themselves would that be considered bittersweet yes mm-hmm. very much so uh one thing i wanted to bring up to you guys were talking about how george likes to plant very early on simple things that end up being important there was a post i don't think we're going to talk about but there uh, somebody brought up that Daniel Abraham, um, writer of The Expanse, but also wrote the comic books for George, uh, revealed that, I forget what the context was, but essentially he knows the end of the story because he tried to cut a line from one of the comic books and George told him, no, you have to go back and put it back in. It's very important for like the last scene or the very ending of the book. And Abraham commented, was like, oh, that's really innocuous. That like, this is what it is. And he's like, yeah, you have to, you have to go back and put it in. Which has launched like a ton of people trying to track down what what has been preserved versus the first comic book versus the first book, but it's the same kind of repeating pattern that George loves the idea of burying his his twists and his endings in simplicity and um, something that will resonate with his readers when they see it again. Well, and I think too, it's it's um, a talent that he has for uh, combining that with his his gardening style. Where he, I think he's good at, uh, like, like a great dungeon master, he's good at like generating these these lines or these mantras or whatever it is, these hooks that he may not actually know exactly how it's going to pay off, but he's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to have Egg keep saying this this thing, and I'm going to bring it back. Like it's it's gonna it, that's going to hap- come in at the end here. Or, you know, whatever it is. I I think I think he has a really good instinct as an author for creating those and sowing those those seeds and then being able to continue using them and all that. And to the point where it almost doesn't matter how much he's planned it, because that that is, I think, a genuine, like strong point of of uh, George's writing 
That's why um, we're all sitting here going crazy reading through the books trying to figure out is this something mm-hmm. that he intentionally put in here or is this something that he just really doesn't understand that he just yeah. put, he just made up something yeah. and now we're trying to give it significance. Okay, give me a second to uh give me a second to segue here. Uh speaking of twists that have been like waiting and waiting for 10 years or more. Um here's a post about Leighton Hightower who's been sitting in the top of the high tower for about 10 years or so. Um, this is a post, uh, another one by L Chris 24 best of 2019 crew of the year. Um, and this is basically just breaking down, uh, why Leighton Hightower, the Lord of a great house, well, greatish house, high tower would remain at the top of his, uh, titular high tower for like a decade. And basically just, drop out of politics and drop out of society um there's a couple really explanations. identifying with him right now yeah actually you know i'm getting it yeah yeah he's on to something we surely um, are all late in high tower the- Whoa. <laughs> oh man well professor layton there's a couple possibilities for professor layton's high tower adventure here um uh one big suggestion is uh that he could have a glass candle um, or some other type of magic slash vision that he's, you know, obsessed with. Um, Netflix. Much <laughs> much like Netflix, yes. Uh, he finally signed up for Disney Plus and he's going through the, the Disney vault and, you know, mm-hmm. watching The Black Cauldron. Um, uh, world build, I, I included as a possible explanation, it's just world building, just that George R. R. Martin liked the idea of a dude up in a tower. Um also, a suggestion about Maggie the Frog being involved. A suggestion that he may not be up there at all. This is some sort of cover story. Um, and then there's a there's a few uh, little index at the end with a couple other events that happened around the time he dropped out, um, including some births uh, like John, Daenerys, Jojen, Sansa, Edric, Dane, Arya, and Bran are all kind of within this range of when he may have disappeared. Um, Gary and Lannister disappearing. After heading to Valyria, um, there uh, even included the marriage pact in Bravos between Viserys and Ariane, um, which again would have happened around this time. Um, but yeah, so I, this is this is definitely something I have not actually seen any speculation on why he's up there, other than just like oh he's just up there hanging out. So I thought I think this is an interesting idea to to really kind of look for why well, what he could be doing up there, assuming of course that he is still up there. Was there anything from this that like jumped out to you guys as oh my god that's what crazy Layton's been up to? Uh, there is one detail about the glass candles. Uh, I did a stream recently. I'm not actually sure where we're going to release this. So recently will be in air quotes uh, where I was talking about glass candles, and it's noted the Citadel brought back the four glass candles, but there's only three that we see in the Citadel. So people have wondered if this special green one has been uh, gifted to Lord Hightower or he acquired it somehow, especially since when you talk about the Dance of the Dragons, it was the blacks versus the greens. So maybe some sort of resonance there if you're looking for it. I think this is Westeros-style weekend at Leighton's. It's not up there anymore. <laughs> uh, do you think he's, like, dead? Or do you think he's, like, yes. on a beach somewhere wearing sunglasses, like, with a little bit of zinc oh. on his nose? Oh, maybe both. Yeah. <laughs> His corpse is on the beach. <laughs> Good for yes. him. 
gone fishing is what's on his door at the top of the uh I don't think this is what he's doing up there, but I just like the header. He's not actually up there. It's just funny yeah. <laughs> to me. <laughs> it would be it would be extremely funny if like they all rush to the top of the high tower to meet with him and there's just like a they open they open the door and there's just like a note on his desk that's like uh <laughs> left. <laughs> it's like um uh movie with Matthew Broderick where he puts the dummy in the bed. Ferris Bueller? Uh, yeah, Ferris Bueller. Thank day you. Off. It's fair. It's Leighton Hightower's day off. Day off. <laughs> and he's he's put the dummy in the bed. And he is off, yes, at the art museum. Yeah, he's um, like he's like stuffed a broom under the sheets of, of his bed. Yeah. And so and, um, and the maester keeps trying to like get in, but the dog is like like chewing on his ankle. <laughs> I mean, I think it's interesting, like in this quote that L. Chris has put in here, um, you know, it's it's talking about his kids, right? Like mm-hmm. Baylor's building galleys, Gunthor's in charge of the harbor, Garth is training new recruits, Humphrey's gone to Lease to see his sister. Like, they're all off doing stuff. And like, wouldn't it be funny if Leighton Hightower were actually also off doing stuff, but like his cover is that he's up in this tower. Yeah. I mean, it could be. Like, people have been saying, well, I, I think it's interesting. Melora was not included. I guess she's not technically a woods witch. She's in, like, the high tower and is probably one of the richest people ever in the Westeros, so maybe that's why. Um, Bougies. Witch. Anyways. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I'm gonna go really tinfoil, you know, if he's not up there, he could be. He, maybe he's glamoured. And running around, Ooh. he could be Marwin. <gasps> We're gonna just plant random seeds, oh. see, see what sprouts from it. I'm just <laughs> shooting off the cuff right now. I I was actually thinking about this. Like, what if he's actually in the Citadel as like a fake Archmaester, and they all know it's Leighton, and everyone just pretends that he's like one of them. It's like, yeah, sure, Archmaester Leighton of the. I don't know. <laughs> Archmaester Schmaten. Yeah. Of the low the basement. Yes. The Archmaester of Segways. <laughs> low, low cellar. Yeah, Late like, low cellar. Everyone gives it a wink and a nod and they let him go about his business. It's like, this keeps him out of our hair. Just let him continue pretending he's a maester. I mean, Alaris gets away with it. So. So. Well, okay. so I was. Go ahead. Oh, it, it, another thing it reminds me of. Um, so I. I I'm interested in genealogy as a hobby, and I, I, I stumbled across this census, um, the census report, uh, looking for one of my ancestors. And in the census, they record the occupation of the the resident all the way back in the 19th century when it was taken. And it's always like farmer, farmer, merchant, farmer you know, butcher, baker, candlestick, maker, whatever. And mm. uh, there's this one entry that I remember spotting and there's this guy and uh, and he says that, uh, and the, the census taker wrote down in the U.S. census, keeping watch for his enemies. <laughs> <laughs> was this, wow. was this in like Kentucky? This guy who's chance? like the grandpa in the house. And... <laughs> I, uh. I I wonder what he was doing all day. I wonder how they persuaded the census taker to write that down. <laughs> Did he write it while uh. running away from? Yeah, I was going to say he was the census taker. Was the enemy. <laughs> whoa, whoa! What a I legend. need to edit my I mean, census form. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Everybody fill out your uh, census. Plotting the demise of my, yes. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, you know, it could, I feel like Leighton could just be like that kind of a guy. Like he could yeah. just be this kooky dude who is keeping watch for his enemies uh, <laughs> from the top of the high tower for like 10 years because... I don't know, he had a bad dream once or something, and now he's like, ah, yeah, the Ironborn. And maybe he'll be right accidentally or whatever. He walked all the way up to the top of the tower. He's not coming back down now. (laughs) That's That's true. It's a lot of stairs. He walked back up all those steps again. No, but I was looking at the I watch for his enemies doesn't mean they're not coming. I was, I was, I was speaking of genealogy. I was looking for context, and I'm like, how many kids does this guy have? Well, so, um, so the, his daughter that's in lease is Jorah Mormont's ex-wife. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he's the grandfather of the Tyrell kids. Yes. Silas, huh. Garland, Loras, and Marjorie. Huh. Yeah, he's he's like tied into a lot of this. I he's mean, the yeah. great grandfather is. And the he? red wines and the fossilways and the Um, no, because it's Leighton to Aylory, who's Mace Tyrell's wife. Uh, yeah. So it's oh, it's yeah, Mace's yeah. Okay, I see. I got it. I got it. Yeah. Father. Yeah. I mean, I do think we're going to find out what happens to late or what happened to Leighton one day, because I think that the high towers, you know, Georgia's like built in a lot behind them and fine blood. Granted, that doesn't necessarily mean anything like we're probably not going to see, I don't know, House Beesbury come to the forefront, (laughs) though. I love House Beesbury and I think that we should. That's a it's my personal take. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we have all of these characters that uh, are very intriguing and the reach is going to play a big deal. And I kind of hope we're going to see Liness again, you know, as Danny makes her way back West sops through the free cities. I hope we run into Liness and apparently Humphrey Hightower uh, has been, uh, I think trying to meet with Liness mm-hmm. and it might have to do with trying to get a fleet, which could be important for them. So I've got a uh, two possibilities we haven't brought up. Number one, this is tied into the number of kids. Maybe there's just too many high towers around, and he's just <laughs> sick of them. So he's like, "Screw my kids! I can't go anywhere without like yeah. stepping on one of these. Like they just get in my way." So I'm going up in the high tower. You guys handle everything. I'm done. Like a cranky old man. Yeah. And then the second possibility, we talked about this earlier. Maybe he's just like Tommen, and he just likes playing with his kitties. And he's just because, like, you know, with like the high towers with their history and their power, you sort of have this idea that Leighton sort of fits into this legacy of powerful, intelligent rulers who's controlling everything, but maybe he's not. Maybe he's just like, he just likes sitting up there reading his favorite fiction books like some people I know, playing with his cats and just having a good time. He's got like a model train set or something up there. Yeah. Just, yeah. Oh, model trains. Absolutely. Definitely. Yes. Trains. He's absolutely. Oh my God. Did he draw guy. the map? I think yes. so. I think he did. Speaking of trains, like there's this, there's this kind of, um, rhyming between Leighton Hightower and Bran, who wanted to climb everything, mm-hmm. and you know, and and there's a tower involved with one of his first traumas, and 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 he's sort of headed to being at the top of the world, looking down, keeping watch for his enemies, and like <laughs> this the the that image of what Bran might be becoming in a very mundane way Mm. yeah i i I mean i gotta say too i I feel like we can't talk about leighton for too long without um 
uh, talking about Lord of the Rings because I think he's 100 million mm. percent a Denethor, uh, you know, parallel proxy, whatever you oh, want to call it. I thought it. you were going to say Saruman. Uh, uh, yeah, Saruman. But I yeah. mean, I guess Saruman as well. But I think, but no, I think I agree Denethor, Denethor because Denethor, particularly, I mean, you know, more so in the books, which are so rich and, and you know, the movies are a pale imitation. But um, no, but Denethor, you know, he's, he's up in, in the high towers of Minas Tirith staring into his palantir into his uh you know in effect the glass candle i mean the glass candles yeah. are, pal- are right. george r martin's palantirs um palantiri and you know being his he's being twisted by sauron um as he looks into the palantir and sees the eye and you know um he's losing losing his nut and so Losing his mind. Sorry. Is a nut? Mixed. Uh, <laughs> I mixed nut. two idioms. Please. That was an accident. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, he's he's just losing no. his jism. All of, no, wait, wait. Yes. It's that's, getting that's worse. That's what I heard. Um, that's what I heard. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I think... I, I, I don't know exactly what George is doing with the Denethor thing and Leighton, but I think it's definitely there. Like, this absentee, uh, you know regent king figure who is locked away in the high towers with his his dark magic and stuff um it, it very well may be true that Leighton is not in fact a dark magician but is just like a, a weirdo uh or some strange. guy who sits around all day but that's that's george i think either way it's george playing with um something from tolkien can i yeah, ask I'm sad that we didn't mm-hmm. get john noble cast as Leighton hightower you know <laughs> uh, what's eating a, those cherry tomatoes what's a palantir for for those of us who haven't read the tolkien books like it because uh, i was i was reading something and about and it talked about that denethor comparison but i i didn't know what a palantir was uh the the palantiri they are the the seeing stones um the the, the palantir were were Nerd. made by uh the noldor Back in Eldamar, um, in the time of the trees, and then given by the elves to the Numenorians. I th- so the the Palantiri are basically just glass balls. They're seeing stones. Um, the Numenorians, who were like these Atlantean type like supermen, who sunk into the ocean. Um, they used them as basically like long distance radio communication. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the stones ended up lost, but one of them ended up in the hands of uh, Sauron. And another one ended up in the, the hands of Denethor, the steward of Gondor, and uh, Saruman as well had one. I know there's another one out there somewhere. Um, okay. The, the idea being that Sauron used this network of like magical seeing stones to kind of uh, pull Saruman and Denethor and you know it, it seduce them into into his power. Um, Denethor was radicalized on the Palantir. <laughs> exactly. The, yeah. the Palantirs are like like eight. Eight kun or whatever, and like, um, you know, Denethor logs on and gets his Q drop, and <laughs> oh, um, oh boy, no. uh, so was there yeah. S drop? I mean, where we go that? one, where we go one great eye, we go. Never mind. That's what, that's <laughs> there's, there's, there's that, that surveillance. <laughs> yeah. There's that surveillance angle to, pal- to the Palantiri too. Yes, was which that, is why Peter Thiel. Named his his evil surveillance company in the real world Palantir, which mm. is just fucked. Like, well, that's a, the only a... reason why I know what it is because because yeah. that was in the news, and then all you guys started nerding out about it, and I'm like, what is this? A this is a Tolkien reference, okay? 
was one of Denethor's kids involved with it too? Because something that I don't know that we've explicitly mentioned in our talk about Leighton Hightower is that he's supposedly locked up there with his eldest daughter. And I'm not like, I'm mm. not trying to draw a, a George incest thing or anything like that. But like, <laughs> oh boy. luck, okay. luck. I, that's not where I was going. <laughs> but wasn't, for the Tolkien mm. reference, wasn't Denethor, there was something with his kids that I am not remembering and I don't know anything more deep than what I saw in right. the movies. So Denethor has two kids, uh, Boromir and Faramir, and they both sort of act like Leighton's kids, like Baylor and um, Garth. I forget the other one, we already named him, but essentially oh, they go out and take care of the day-to-day -day of the kingdom and Denethor is kind of on his own with his Palantir and being a weirdo and eating his tomatoes. And so the relationship there, there's not really a Melora mm. in um, in Denethor's story. That's to something George may have added in because he thought it was funny or <laughs> creepy or something. It, it, it adds weird connotations that it's just him with his supposedly <clears throat> insane daughter. Yeah. In as much as there is a connection with Melora, um, Denethor really uh, loses his nut when... Um, Boromir dies. <laughs> right. It's a new idiom, guys. Stop looking at me like that. I made it up. Losing it's, his nuts. I made my idiom. Um, He's just uh, up no, there he, nutting all the time. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Constantly nutting. Nutting down um, from the high tower. Yeah. And who's watching? No, that's not what I meant by nutting. <laughs> what to do about um, nutting? Uh, the nutty <laughs> Professor Layton. Um, oh, no, my God. I, that was pretty good. Um <laughs> No, Denethor really goes off the deep end when when his eldest son Boromir dies, mm -hmm. um, and then he tries to get his younger son Faramir killed because he's all like, "Oh, it should have been you." Um, and so uh, he doesn't have a good relationship with his kids, and uh, I, I don't know exactly how Melora plays into that kind of parallel. But you you do gotta wonder if there's some sort of weird obsessive thing there because that's certainly. And and of course Boromir, you know, uh, was ch trying to get the ring, and you know was be was very yeah. tempted by power and all that. So maybe Melora too is very tempted by magical powers or something. But um, well, maybe I don't know. Yeah, issues. I mean, it, it, it's obviously not one to one. Right. But yeah. It. it um, it's enough of a reference that people immediately go, "Well, this is Denethor." Right. And and that there's a possibility of a connection. Yeah, that connection makes sense. And them staying up there and then also losing touch you know combining all that the high tower that ivory tower that they're all stuck up in you can't you can't have a proper fantasy landscape without like a guy growing a beard in a tower weirdos looking in into tower. his stone yeah. Ooh, maybe he does have maybe that's what he's been doing growing out his beard <laughs> oh, and then he's gonna climb down the high tower, like, or he's gonna let oh, down his the beard. beard. Oh my god! <gasps> yeah, I thought it was Tolkien all along, that's, and really, I think that's gonna happen. It's tangled. It was tangled. <laughs> oh my god! That's why he needs Melora. He, she is his Rapunzel. Melora knows best. <laughs> Combine my beard and your hair, Melora. We will climb down this tower. Oh, he has beautiful. a dream. He has a dream. I don't remember all the songs from this movie. Speaking of incest. <laughs> wow, okay. Sounds so matter-of-factly. Yeah, incest. Let's talk about it. Here's a post 
called How the Tyrells Were Like the Lannisters All Along by uh, user Galasm. And this is a, it's just kind of a one-to-one comparison of Tywin and Cersei and Jaime and Tyrion to their counterparts in the Tyrell family. Tywin compared to Olenna, Marjorie compared to Cersei, Jaime compared to Loras, Tyrion compared to Willis. Uh, and that, and noting that these two families that uh, sort of have this similar structure with similar kinds of dynamics in it, and uh, and uh, the 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 leader of the family being kind of of uh, being schemers, and um, and I, I thought there's uh, these these parallels. Like sometimes I think they can be overdrawn and 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 maybe this maybe this one is a little bit overdrawn but also these structures these repeating structures that keep coming up in the story throughout the story I, you know i think this this i think galasm is onto something about the way the, the structures repeat and the discussion is actually really good too and it's well worth uh perusing the discussion um i liked the uh, a point made by user Myrtle42, uh, who said, yeah, the Tyrells are basically the Lannisters with a healthy family dynamic, which makes them much stronger. And I, I think that's accurate. And, and I think it's interesting that George puts us in the, points of, in the point of view of the traumatized family compared to being in the point of view of the family that actually looks after each other and protects each other. Um, and, and so I think that's a really great point to bring up. Um, and I also totally agree with user Fumblebrag, who notes in the discussion, Elena is smarter than Tywin. She is much smarter than Tywin. I'm glad you highlighted that comment, um, from Myrtle42, because a lot of it, uh, is comparing how they, the two families treat their, in heavy air quotes, imperfect sons. That mm-hmm. the, the, the Tyrell sons who have imperfections by Westerosi standards, um, you know, Willis having been um, uh, crippled in a jousting match and uh, Loris obviously not interested in marriage, um, that, they, that they're still kind of optimized for the family and not in a purely cold and calculating way, although it's definitely to the family's benefit, but... You know, Willis gets to have a pretty good life. He's not he's not an outcast. He's not hated. He is he holds down the fort for the family. He's he's this solid guy. And uh, you know, Loris obviously is is winning immense prestige for the house, um no matter what. Like like they they aren't viewing Loris being gay as something that is going to cause a rift between him and the entire rest of the Tyrell brood. Um and which is yeah, actually I mean, more of a medieval sensibility than what the show did. Ah, uh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, tell us more. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's not. It. It. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. Not. Not that exceptional. You know, in, for for a medieval dude uh, to be into a little bit of buggery. But the the, the point being that you know um, the. He, they put it well when they say that Tywin and Cersei openly loathe Tyrion and the Tyrells just don't openly loathe each other. Like, 
it may seem like a very low bar to clear, but um, they clear it. And it's amazing how effective that can be, for even, even in just real politics sense, not even including just like how happy people are. I think it's interesting too the parallel with Tyrion and Wylas about how Sansa was like they were trying to scheme to get Sansa married to Wylas so she could go live in Highgarden, but then she ended up getting betrothed to Tyrion and marrying him instead. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. it gets really on the nose making that that comparison between uh, yeah. Willis and, and Tyrion. It's like it's just it's the two choices in front of Sansa. Well, and, and to, like, the happy family versus, like, the dysfunctional family. It's like, look, you mm-hmm. can get married into this happy family and live in a garden with flowers, but no, you get the land. You get the other one. You get their awesome giant rock. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Who would win? One big rock or a bunch of flowers? <laughs> <laughs> big flowery. A bunch of flowery boys, yeah. Yeah. I was reading this through and I was thinking about what's the difference here. And it's very clear. It's Garland. Mm-hmm. The, tier- mm-hmm. the Lannisters had a fourth kid. If they just had Garland Tyrell, Garland Tyrell is the pure, perfect person that fixes all families. Without him, it falls apart. We all need Garlands in our lives. That's basically the lesson here. Aww. Hmm. I-, I like the I think this point in the original post in the at the top of the post about how Cersei and Marjorie, they both explicitly look like their brothers Mm. yeah that's a good point and and where cersei and jamie obviously have the very dark version of that where uh yeah (laughs) where there's that um marjorie and loris as far as we know i guess in the books it could still be canon that they are somehow uh doing a cersei jamie but it seems very unlikely specifically because i think we're drawing this contrast where Guess what? It's possible for like two attractive people to look like each other and be siblings and not have sex. Like that's crazy. What? <laughs> well, I mean, there. I, uh, I mean, there may have been what an interesting dynamic when you throw Renly in there. Like that's true. Loras and Renly, Marjorie and Renly. Like that's true. Yeah, yeah. That is a yeah. That's like a a. a I mean, the show uh, the show uh, went there certainly. <laughs> yeah. Um. If we're drawing that comparison, does that make Rhaegar uh, Cersei's Renly? Rhaegar Cersei's Renly. Hold up. I'm doing the, you know, I'm sitting, I've got the like triangles and Pythagorean theorems like flying around over my head. Triangles on top of triangles. (laughs) Doing the math. Um, I don't think this works, but I like the idea that um, Rhaegar, yeah, Rhaegar and Jaime did not have much of a relationship. Hmm. But then again, Cersei was obsessed with Rhaegar in the same way Loras was for Renly, and the other sibling didn't really seem to be all that interested. No, but I mean, Renly and Loras had a relationship. Yeah, this doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, and, and Rhaegar yeah, work at all. and Cersei <laughs> were not involved at all. But they want, he, she wanted to be mm. very badly. Well, yeah. In, in her mind. In this one instance, you can hardly blame Cersei. Because as a kid, she went to a woods witch from our earlier discussion who told her that she would marry the king or marry a king. I can't remember the exact article. But uh, I mean, how could you not grow up and make that assumption? 
Mm. I'm just yeah. saying we we all would have done the same thing. We all would have pined after Rhaegar. <laughs> oh. We all would have done everything that Cersei did in her position. Yeah. Yeah. Every single every oh, single thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um maybe maybe. <laughs> um losing that nut up. I think there's something really interesting too with the comparison between Tyrion and, and Willis Wyless. Um uh you know, one of Tyrion's most most uh wit and wisdom of Tyrion Lannister lines is like all what is it, all dwarfs are bastards in their father's eyes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um and granted, uh, Willis and Tyrion do not share the same like physical conditions. Um, Willis is not a dwarf, and Tyrion was not you know injured permanently injured in a in a jousting accident. But Willis is uh, kind of this counterpoint to Tyrion's argument that all dwarfs are bastards in their father's eyes, and and. You know, here using dwarfs as the like cripples, bastards, and broken things, mm-hmm. catch all for imperfections. That actually, no, not all fathers have to be. It it's not an inherent necessity of being imperfect that you are going to be hated. Um, Tywood is just a really shit father, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm going for. Yeah, is that like, like. Were Tyrion born to the Tyrells, his life would have been different. And and I, I mean, I, I think there's some really interesting reflection that happens in Tyrion's chapters. I, I think we talked about this on the, the on episode 22 um, with Tyrion and Penny, um, mm-hmm. and the way Tyrion's self image as a dwarf is is kind of challenged by Penny. But I think also his self image as a like you know imperfect son is is challenged by. Uh, the image of Willis Tyrell. I don't I don't disagree with it. I really like that that comparison. I just wonder if the difference in story as to why or one of the reasons that Tyrion is so hated unfairly is that his mother died in childbirth with him. Where mm. and so there's that 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 trauma of losing his mother and and Tywin's wife. Whereas with Willis, his crippling came. How old was he? I mean, he was in a jowl, so at least a teenager, if not older. I'm not sure. And he was like a high school football player. So, but I mean, I still think the overall comparison of the Tyrells to the Lannisters is really good. It's just that I wonder at the specific circumstances. I guess. That's a good point too, and that's something that doesn't come up as much in the post. But uh, yeah, uh, one huge difference here is that there are women in the Tyrell family, and there really aren't in the Lannister family, with the exception of like Aunt Jenna or uh, Jenna, yeah, um, Gemma, Jenna, Jenna, whatever, um, the aunt. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cersei is is very much alone, whereas like Marjorie grows up in a court of women and like has a grandmother who <laughs> looks after her and a mother who looks after her. Like there's there's uh, I mean I don't know I maybe, I don't know if George is doing something there about uh, maybe George is actually very conservative at heart and believes you need a nuclear family to have a healthy family <laughs> and you need the the mom and the dad and and you know all that but um 
I, I don't think that's what he's going for, but uh, you know, maybe unintentionally. Um, but yeah, that that is a major difference between them for sure. Where the where are the Lannister women at? Is, <laughs> that's what they're I'm, dead. <laughs> where indeed? <laughs> they're dead. Um, I wonder to what extent the difference in station of birth makes two, right? Because I think Tywin would have hated Tyrion no matter what to an extent, but as you said, having Joanna there could have maybe helped soften their dynamic. But Willis is the eldest child and Tyrion's the youngest, right? Tywin's like, I don't need him for his whatever his plans Whereas it seems like the Tyrells sort of accept what they have and they're like, all right, so this is what we have. What can we do with it? Mm. Or what can we do with them and still accepting them? And, you know, uh, uh, Matt was talking about Garland Tyrell being this sort of peacemaker within the family. But part of what made Garland so gallant is what was in fact a really gallant gesture on the part of his eldest brother, Willis of naming him the gallant so that he wouldn't be associated negatively with a previous previous Garth um the gross and and you know it, it's something that you kind of wonder like Jamie sort of almost starts to fulfill this big brother dynamic for Tyrion right and looks out for him a little but he doesn't play the peacemaker he's not empowered to do so because he's so busy trying to live up to his own ideals he's not really that concerned with the family dynamics or doing that either whereas he could be doing that for Garland and Willis and Tyrion but rather what he's doing is you know, throughout his storyline in Storm, he keeps thinking that he's hated by many for what he feels is his finest act, but loved by one for, like, his worst thing. He does this thing that, like, actively hurts his youngest brother, whereas the Tyrells don't really cut each other down. Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that, that, um, that thing with Willis nicknaming him the Gallant because he, he was like, he was like a chubby kid or something, right? And they were afraid he was going to get nicknamed like the chubby uncle or something is that uh, yeah yeah garth the gross but i like chubby uncle well i I mean it's that's his uncle garth but um i don't know chubby (laughs) uncle sounds cute it's it sounds like that game where you shove marshmallows in your mouth and you have to say oh is that chubby bunny (laughs) chubby bunny i think Next Maester Monthly, we all have to get marshmallows. I like marshmallows. I've got marshmallows. This works. Oh, shit. (laughs) We can make hot chocolate. I had hot chocolate. Oh. Mm. I'm ahead of the the curve. Yeah, you really are. (laughs) Trailblazer. Um, Yeah, them Tyrells. Love them. Can't live with them. Can't live without them. All right. Are you... (laughs) I'm just trying to. Well, that should do it for the uh, healthy family discussion hour, aka Maester Monthly. We are still pseudo monthly, just as advertised. We've never pretended to be anything other than pseudo monthly. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, and YouTube and Spotify. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Maester Monthly. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook if you want, but follow us on Twitter. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there are many of us here today. And I know that each of us deep in our hearts want one thing from you and one thing only. And that is 
for you to smash the MF and like button <laughs> under all of these uh, social media accounts. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you especially to the people of the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, all 700,000 of you individually, for creating all the sweet, sweet content that's still out there today. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a testament to the coolness of this fandom that we are able to just log on and talk about the wonderful things that you post. And of course, thank you to George, David Weiss, and D.B. Benioff, R.R. Martin for writing the books. Yeah, I, I switched the names on purpose, so it's a parody. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Thank you for your I service. Completely Thank lost you for my, being our host. Completely <laughs> lost my Did mind. you lose your nut? <laughs> I lost my nut. I lost my... Whoop. Oh, there it goes. There's, <laughs> there's the nut. Um, I have been <laughs> Michael, also known as Bookshelf Stud. Uh, and I have been Eliana, also known as Glass Table Girl. And I have been Matt, also known as Joe Magician. I have been Jen, also known as Jen Snow. I have been Walda, also known as Fat underscore Walda. <laughs> and I have been Isabel, also known as Mighty Isabel. Uh, thank you guys for, for uh, getting on this Google call with me. Um, it's should, been a blast. Should we clarify What's that up? Jen is Jen underscore Snow? <laughs> Th- oh, that's a good point. Yes. Uh, editorial note. Um, I'm glass underscore table underscore girl. <laughs> I'm capital B Ookshelf stone for the record. Um, um, any other notes here? Joe? Matt? What? <laughs> He's Perfect. capital J away. Capital M addition. That's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. We have been Maester Monthly, and we will catch you Next pseudo month. God damn it. I lost my nut. I lost my whoop. Oh, there it goes. There's <laughs> there's the nut. <laughs> <laughs>